Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. All right, guys, welcome into another Buzzbee podcast. On today's episode, we're going to look into the Hornets future as we head into the offseason and discuss the options this team has as it comes to roster building. The Hornets have missed out on the playoffs for a third straight season, and there are a lot of questions and decisions to be made before July 1st. I hope everyone is enjoying uh, the NBA playoffs, the playoffs without the Hornets. Uh, I know I am. The two series that have you know, kind of kept my interest are the Brooklyn-Philly matchup uh, and the way that Embiid and, and Simmons have responded in Game 2 and also the series between the Thunder and the Blazers. Those those two series I've been keeping my eye on more than most. Um, and it seems like Lillard is pulling up from 30-plus feet uh, consistently. So, Brian Spencer, if you guys enjoyed the playoffs and do you guys wish the Hornets were in there facing the Bucks? Yeah, I've enjoyed them so far. I mean, I agree with you on the Portland-Oklahoma City series. That's kind of the one I had circled uh, prior to the start. I still think it's going to probably be a seven-gamer. Um, still like Oklahoma City in that series when it's all said and done. But, you know, I'm still keeping my eye on the Boston-Indiana series. I know that it wasn't a super exciting first game, but Boston didn't blow you away to the point where you feel like they're going to run away with that one. And then, look, I mean, how can you not be intrigued with Orlando here, right? Um it, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. I guess when you guys are listening to this, you'll you'll know that Toronto probably won and tied the series. But yeah, I mean, look, man, give it. I'm happy for Steve Clifford. I just am. It's, it's awesome. It's cool, it's cool to see them doing this, and I, I don't know, man. Don't hold it against him. If DJ Augustine's going to play like you know Chris Paul in the offensive end, then maybe they have a shot. Yeah, I think there might be some regression to the mean with both former Charlotte backup point guards, DJ Augustine and and Michael Carter-Williams in Game 2 for Orlando. But you never know. Maybe they'll keep it going. Yeah, Richie, I wish the Hornets were in the playoffs. I mean, that was sort of the goal before the season, although a lottery pick is not a terrible consolation prize. But just when you look at what's left of the Pistons going against the Bucks, like that series is a total joke. And without with Blake being hurt, yeah. you know, I mean, I still think the Hornets would have been swept or at best they win a game in Charlotte and this thing goes five. But the Hornets played them competitively in every game this season, including a win and a loss they had at the buzzer on, on opening night. And, you know, maybe Kemba goes buck wild for one game too. It's just it that series would at least be, I think, if you were outside of the Milwaukee or – or Charlotte fan bases or media markets or whatever, I think that would at least draw a little bit of a, more attention, you know, Giannis versus Kemba. So, but, um, you know, this series is just a total joke now with the, with the Pistons, but I've really been enjoying the playoffs. I got back last night for, on Monday night from going to the, see the Carolina Hurricanes play and get a win over the Washington Capitals, but I got back in time to catch game two of Clippers and Warriors and yes, I did stay up for that entire game. And yes, I could not believe what I was seeing as the Warriors <laughs> blew a 31-point lead. It, that was amazing. 
Um, I still got my eye on Houston, Utah. I think Jazz will, the Jazz will rebound a little bit here, make that series more competitive. Just you know, keeping an eye on how the the Rockets and Warriors are positioning themselves ahead of a potential second round matchup. Yeah, I fell asleep in the second quarter of that that Warriors game, and I thought, uh, I mean, at that point, it wasn't a thirty one point lead, but uh, it felt like the Warriors. We're just going to be in control of that game. I, I did not realize when I woke up that that, w- that actually happened uh, the previous you night. And most other, you and most other people on the East Coast, I think, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the last time I was actually awake for a 10.30. I know, man. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I can't do it. I yeah. just can't. But uh, yeah. didn't believe it either. It was one of those things where watching the Warriors, I'll stop watching when they sit Curry finally. Like That's like the, okay, even though the game's not over, I can go to bed, but then mm-hmm. – yeah, I mean, give it hats off to the Clippers, man. They kept pushing. Sure. All right, so I think the first thing that we need to address on this episode is the cap situation. Uh, very timely episode as Biombo, unsurprisingly, picked up his $17 million player option for the 2019-2020 season. And guess what? He's currently the second high, highest paid player on this Charlotte Hornets roster. Uh, Spencer, since you love breaking down the salary cap and, and you're kind of more in tune to it than I am, I'm going to pass it to you to kind of break down the situation that the Hornets have as they head into the summer and just kind of look at some of the player options, free agents, non-guaranteed contracts, and kind of uh, we'll, we'll discuss uh, what could happen this summer. Well, as most people know, if you listen to this pod or, or really stay in tune with the Hornets at all, they're, they're not in a very good cap situation. Um, <laughs> that's probably being kind. But really right now, the, the skeleton of what it looks like, um, you know, total salary without cap holds this summer uh, it's just shy of $108 million. Um, and then the total, if you're including the cap holds, which is really how you should look at this exercise, is about $151 million. So, you know, just with the cap holds, the Hornets are already $19 million over the tax, you know, into the tax. Of course, that's not where they're going to end up. But, you know, that, that helps us kind of parlay into looking, okay, what can happen from here moving forward? You know, going into the summer. Well, the first dominoes to fall. Richie mentioned the first one we saw today. Bismack Biombo, uh, not surprisingly, you know, opting into the final year, seventeen million dollars of his deal. And you know what? Good for Biz. I can't believe that Orlando gave him that deal. But Biz literally, you know, made a living for his children and his children's children in the NBA with his money. And good for him for doing it. Um, the next two we're really looking at here is is Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Uh, $13 million player option for next season, and then Marvin Williams, $15 million uh, and some change player option for next season. I mean, we'll probably start there. I, I think Marvin, you know, there, there's there's really two ways to look at it for him. Do you cash in on what very well could be I, – I wouldn't I wouldn't guess it's going to be the last year of his career in the NBA, but any deal from here on out, um, is going to be a minimum deal, a veteran minimum deal. I think that's pretty much locked in. So does Marvin say, I'm going to opt out of this, try to sit down with Charlotte and see if they'll give me, yeah, I don't know, three for 15, right? So he can play at least three more seasons, make the same amount, or say, you know, three for 18, something like that, yeah. make a little bit more money and be able to extend his career. You know, th- those are the two ways to look at Marvin. And then, then MKG, you know, with him – it, this is a really interesting player option. Ultimately, I think there's a really good chance he's going to opt into this. Um, but, I, you know, for him, if he opted out, I think he's one of those players at this point to where there's probably four or five teams in the entire NBA where he can actually be 
you know, those teams have a, a system built to where they can get the most out of MKG. Um, and I think we could all probably name who those teams are, most of the competitors in the Western Conference. But yeah. with, with MKG, I could see him literally getting a minimum deal next year if he opted out. But I could also see a team giving him like $10 million over three years. He's one of these guys that I just, at this point in his career in the NBA, I think he's just a little bit eye of the beholder. And I do think there are some beholders out there that see him see a lot left on the table for MKG. I, I, he's, you know, sneakily, I know we're a little biased here, but sneakily probably one of the more interesting uh, player option free agency situations really this summer in the whole NBA to me. So kind of like y'all, what are y'all's thoughts on those? Yeah, I think I think MKG has been – I think the market for him – I've said this on this pod before. I'm fascinated to know what the market would be for him outside of Charlotte. Like, I, I really am. Um, my only thing would be, again, like you said, Spencer, kind of a high-variance free agent. You know, if he did – if he didn't take uh, – take go into his option for next season, you know. And even then, he'll be, what, 26, 27 you know, next summer. So it's not like he couldn't still – you know, go out and try to get another contract after that. It's just, you know, would you, if the team's going to rebuild, would you want to be around for that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, a guy, a guy that showed a little bit of ability to shoot the three this year and played the four and guarded fours and stuff like that. You know, can he get to more of that? That would really be a, a big boon. I think at this point that's probably unrealistic, but, but maybe he's got another one more gear there too. Obviously, he does all the little stuff, all the dirty work, and he kind of can kind of fill in the gap and be an impact player on both ends of the court, especially defensively. I guess my thing with him is Michael Kidd Gilchrist is not going to ever make thirteen million dollars again in his season, right? Like that. Like this is I can't imagine there's ever going to be a deal in the, for the rest of his life where that guy can say I'm making eight. I'm making well over eight figures. Like I'm making eight figures plus some change here. So if that's the case and he's still young, like he could still cash in 12 months later too, like I think there's a good chance that, you know, he's going to pick this option up. Um, and, you know, depending on how the Hornets, how their summer unfolds, I imagine, you know, he'll be back unless there's, you know, a trade or a, you know, a buyout or just depending on how, on how things shake out or whatever. But no, nah, I think, I think MKG has to, I think, I think he's got to take this option just because, he's not going to make like he'll never make 13 million again in a season you know and yes he could maybe he could get 30 over 10 or something like that and that's that's a lot of money too but i, I just I, it's not going to ever happen and he could still do that same gambit um he could still try to go get a a, a 20 for 2 or a 30 for uh, 30 over 3 in the summer of 2022 when there's you know there'll be, probably be less money but less free agent competition too Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the only thing that I would say is that he made a mention of this, I believe, in his exit interviews, that it's it's not about the money. It's more about his happiness. And maybe I get the sense, because he did mention that, that maybe he's kind of grown unhappy a little bit since the, you know, the start of the season. He had a very, very strong start to this season. Uh, he was playing a lot. Uh, I even made a mention of it on the earlier pods, how impactful he was. Maybe the second most impactful player on this Hornets team probably in the first month or two. But as the season went on, uh, his minutes went down. Um, in March and April, he was only averaging 13 minutes per game, which was six minutes less than 
the other months in the season. So a whole lot more DNPs, a whole lot more uh, inactives for him in those final 20 games or so. So I wonder if he views himself as someone that is part of this team or has a role within James Borrego's offense. So if he is trying to opt into this $13 million this season and then you know just test the market next season, if he doesn't play a whole lot next season or if he feels like he's not going to showcase his quote-unquote skills, then maybe his, um, I guess, demand will go let down a little bit more next season. So I do think there's a slight chance that he opts out of this. But I would agree, Brian, like he's probably not going to see $13 million a year per uh, ever in his career again. And then back to Marvin Williams, uh, Spencer, you made a mention of this. I do think there could be a possibility of him opting out knowing that if we offered him a, a two-year or a three-year deal, but I do think it would have to be more than the $15 million. If he was going to go three years, it would probably have to be closer to like 18 or 20 like you said. Yeah, yeah. didn't Bunnell, didn't Bunnell report too that Marvin said he's going to be back? Like he, like Willie he did. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, so one way or another, yeah, I yeah. respect him back. One other quick thing on MKG, because, you know, I mentioned that I think maybe there's four or five, whatever. How many teams, the Houstons, the Golden States, uh, the Denvers, you know, teams like Portland maybe, teams like this, mm-hmm. these systems I think would fit MKG. You know, keep this in mind. And, He'd be and what, awesome in Denver, man. Holy yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah, he would. They, they need to get they need a playmaker, not being a seven footer more than anything else there. But they they also need some wing defense. Everyone in the West does. But yeah. here's the point I want to make: the like the reason I really think MKG ultimately it's probably like 75, 25 he does opt in is because the the main building tool for a lot of these teams that are competitive in the West is the, is a mid level exception. Most of these teams don't have access to the non taxpayer mid level exception, which is what you know financially right. what would make it feasible for MKG to opt out and then opt in yeah. to a two or three, you know? And so I, I don't know if the math works for him ultimately to, unless That's he wants point. to go, you know what I mean? Unless he wanted to go play, you know, it's in, I don't know, Orlando, you know, some middle feeder in there, but I don't know why he would, you know, pass up 13 million to go yeah. take, uh, you know, an extra year or two and, yeah. and 5 million more to do that. So just something to keep in mind with MKG. That's um, a great point. Let's uh, let's talk about the, the free agents here. You know, obviously Kimba. I, I don't really know. There's a whole lot, and there's a Twitter question. We're going to kind of touch on him a little bit more, but everyone knows he's a free agent. Let's wait, hold about, up. Uh, wait, hold up. Kimba's a free agent. He's oh, a free sorry, agent? sorry, I, I sorry. didn't know I this. Forgot. We hadn't told Brian yet. We were trying to keep oh, him up. Damn. Um, that yeah. Me. Yeah. I'm. I'm sorry. So. Yeah, so Kimba Walker's a free agent. So uh, if you thought you were already sad as, as a Hornets fan follower, whatever you call yourself, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be sad. Is Charlotte gonna come? Is he gonna come back to Charlotte? I don't know. Let's, um, uh, let's talk about it, man. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Frank and Lamb here for a minute because I think that the way the season ended, certainly for Frank Kaminsky, it becomes interesting. Frank Kaminsky is a ten, almost an eleven million dollar cap hold, which is Pretty high, but it's because he was the ninth pick in the draft. Um, you know, so that's a pretty big number. Uh, I, 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 I'm not really sure where I stand on Frank. I, I do actually think there's a chance that Charlotte does extend him a qualifying offer, which is just shy of $5 million. Right. Um, because they have to do that to restrict his rights. Mm-hmm. So if they offer him the qualifying offer at that point, you he know, people could offer Right, he becomes a restricted free agent, so now you control his rights. 
Um, but I could also see it going the other way. I could see Charlotte saying, look, you had a good into the last season, but uh, who's really going to give you a big payday out there that we can't meet? But, you know, after saying those two things, if you're Charlotte, why not? I mean, qualifying over $5 million, there's a chance that Kimball Walker walks. Like at that point, you know, financially, you're not too you're not too worried about that. And here's the other thing. Charlotte can wait on on Kimba's situation to decide whether or not they want to extend a qualifying offer to Frank, you know, let the Kimba situation iron itself out a little bit. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that. And I can see that one going um, either way to Jeremy Lamb. I I don't really see the Hornets being able to bring Lamb back. Um, He's got a cap hold of 11.2 million. Yeah. I, I, they have his full bird rights, obviously, so they can offer him whatever they want. But I, I, if, Kim, if there's any inclination that Kimba is going to come back, Jeremy Lamb is most certainly gone. If Kimba decides to walk, there's, there's a, a universe into where Charlotte could make it work, but it still would be really, really tough and tight, especially if they expect to use their mid-level exception too. So I would say that as weird as it sounds, I think there's a better chance Frank Kaminsky's back in Charlotte next year. Yeah, I agree too. Plus, if if Kemba walks, like, what what's the? Can you actually re, would could if you re-sign Lamb, can you even turn him into an asset? I mean, I guess maybe he becomes a little bit of a, a trade chip, like a, a guy that can come off the bench and score, like run a pick and roll and stuff like that. But it's like you, you wouldn't be bringing that guy back to like compete and stuff like that. It just would the thought process, I guess, would have to be, well, can can you turn this guy into something else beyond, um, you know, just a, just like a, a decent bench scorer or whatever. And I guess we should also mention with Biombo uh, picking up the $17 million option next season, I guess there does exist a universe where they could use the stretch provision on on biz if they wanted to sort of clear out a little bit more wiggle room just in the summer of 2019. They could spread that $17 million hit over three seasons. I can't remember what exactly the trigger date is that they would have to unleash that on. But I suppose that's that's a that's a possibility. I do think, uh, Spencer, I agree, like if you bring Kemba back, I think Kaminsky's the one that does make a little bit more sense too, right? With uh, not just in terms of, of finances and stuff like that too, but also like you have some guys, some young cheap players on the wing, Miles Bridges, Dwayne Bacon, Malik Monk. Like those guys are ready to maybe pick up some of the some of the at least the hope would be Malik. I don't know if you're gonna get it from him next season. The hope would be Malik's ready to absorb some of Lamb's production. But Kaminsky's the only stretch five you currently got on the roster, too, right? And this spark that the Hornets had down late in the season, a lot of it, or a good chunk of it, was with Frank and Kemba on the court together. And we talked about this on episode 98, just like the looks that Frank Kaminsky gave them along with Miles Bridges where they would run the double high screens and the horn sets and the drag screens and having one guy that can roll and cut and have the one guy that could can pop and flare. Um 384 minutes this season with Kemba and Kaminsky on the court. Charlotte, 109 points per 100 possessions, plus five net rating. Uh, last 10 games of the season with those two on the court, 1.15 points per possession, plus 5.2 net rating. Kaminsky, 1.02 points per possession, and 56% effective shooting out of the pick and, on pick and pops this season, according to Synergy, which is pretty good also this year. 39% three-point shooting from above the break, 66% uh, field goal percentage in the restricted area, too. So, like, you know, if you're bringing Kemba back, like, he's he's a guy that makes a, makes a little bit of sense, especially since, like, I, I don't know how much you can trust Cody Zeller. You really can't go into a season expecting to get anything out of 
out of Bismack Biombo beyond just, you know, a guy that can eat some minutes. And Lord knows where we are with, with Willie Aaron and Gomez, assuming he's back next season too. Yeah, and real, real quickly, real, Richard, real quickly, I said that wrong regarding Kaminsky's. They do – the Hornets would have to extend the qualifying offer prior to that July – one moratorium so yeah. so that would have to happen before the cast said that wrong just a minute ago sorry no i i think you do extend that offer of uh, that four and a half million to frank kaminsky and uh i can't believe i'm saying this but i'd, I'd rather have him on the roster than hernan gomez and we can get into this in a second but his, his contract non-guarantee comes up at the end of june so that could be a signal as to whether or not we're going to pursue Kaminsky. I know you have to extend that qualifying offer prior, and uh, he becomes a restricted free agent. And we could also just, you know, have him field offers as, as a restricted free agent and not match. But do you guys think there's a world where we just let Hernan Gomez go, don't guarantee his his contract, and then just put all our eggs in the Frank Kaminsky basket? Yeah, I, I, I you know. I think Cody Zeller, this is going deeper into this conversation here, but I think Cody Zeller's for sale this summer. Um, I think the team will try to move him and then and then possibly pivot towards a front court of whoever we draft in the first round. If we do, who I think it is going to be a center, Willie Hernan Gomez and Frank Kaminsky. I think that's totally possible. I, I strongly believe the Hornets are going to try to move off Zeller's deal this summer. So when you consider that, because – Number one, they need to get off salary. Number two, Frank Kaminsky at $5 million, Willie Hern- Hernan Gomez at 1.5, is, that's pretty cost-effective. Yeah, let's right. quick note on Zeller, too. The last three seasons going back to 2016-2017, just 144 games played for Cody Zeller. 62 games uh, in 16-17, 33 games in 17-18, and 49 games this season in 18-19. So, yeah, at this point with Zeller, it's like great player, really good player on both ends of the court, but just limited in some ways, and, and obviously health is just a huge issue with him. Yeah, I mean, when he's on the court, clearly he makes the Hornets a better team, I and mean, all the numbers back up that, that thought, but uh, he can't stay on the court. And I, I wonder how right. much his trade value has dropped, but uh, – that's always kind of in the back of my mind as putting Zeller out there as a trade piece. But, you know, knowing the Hornets' luck, we would trade him and he would stay healthy for a full season. <laughs> He's a great player, too. He really is. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with you guys, but Cody Zeller, when healthy, is good. It's just, man, his, his health is uh, it's yeah, a, it's a, it's a big problem. It's a problem. The, the other non-guarantees, we can run through them real quick. I mean, well, Hernan Gomez, uh, trigger date, uh, July 28th. Um, so we'll know, you know, obviously before the season here, Dwayne Bacon, I mean, you can lock that one in. Yep. He is a trigger, yep. trigger date of, uh, yeah, let's see, trigger date. August 1st. Right? Yeah, August 1st. Yep, that's right. August 1st. And then Tony Parker, he's the July 4th trigger date. And, you know, he's sending out mixed messages. This season obviously didn't go how he had planned. And I right. think maybe how he and the team had discussed it would go. So that one's going to be interesting, too. Um, I, I personally wouldn't be too upset with Parker, you know, um, deciding, hey, let's just part ways, or even if he decides to retire. You know, I, I think that would probably be a healthy move for both sides. I, I think so, too. To be honest, I, I think, think so he's too. gone. I mean, this is after the draft, after free agency has started. I think maybe the draft could signal his fate. I mean, we, if we do draft another point guard, I know that uh, Devonta Graham has played pretty decent uh, as a second-round pick, and we have control over him for the next couple of seasons at a, at a decent price. But uh, I do think Parker's gone as a Hornet. 
I think so, too. And look, they got good return on the $5 million that they paid him for this season. I mean, like you said, Spencer, I agree. I don't think it just went quite how he probably envisioned, but he had, he had a good season for them offensively and won him some games and was a lift when Kemba needed it. And I don't think Devontae Graham is, is maybe quite ready to, to be that on over the course of an 82-game season. This is under the hypothetical that Kemba comes back and they're still competing and stuff, contending or trying to make a playoff spot or whatever. But with Parker, you know, 5.25 next season, million that is, like, yeah, I just ah, – I, yeah. I think it's probably best time to just move on, honestly. Yeah, and it, here's here's something we should keep in mind as well, and this might come up in the Twitter questions we're going to uh, go through here in a minute, Richie. But the you know, trade exception Charlotte still has, $7.8 million. Uh, it expires on July the 6th. This, this is an interesting trade exception because I, I, Mitch Kupchak has – said in the past that he intends to try to use that charlotte can yeah. weirdly provide someone with salary relief before the fiscal year turns over mm-hmm. and then kind of figure out the rest for themselves later especially if they have an inclination that kimball walker is going to not come back at that point charlotte you know they could they could take it some player you know what name your player that makes a salary of 7.8 or less and then potentially have an asset attached to it by giving somebody relief, you know, before the fiscal year turns over again. So just keep that tool in mind. That's not a small mm-hmm. trade exception. And I, and I do think Charlotte will try to utilize, even if, even if they don't know what Kim is going to do, take somebody in that, you, that can play a rotation role for you um, and then figure out how you're going to stay under the tax later. Mm-hmm. If not, it, it goes away. And, and that's yeah. fine if it just goes away. But I, I it, as handicapped as this team is to build out a roster this, this summer, I think they're probably best suited to to go ahead and use that watch there and then figure it out later. Yeah, why not? Like again, you, use all the mechanisms that are in your in your in your uh, your tool chest here, right? Like you don't have a lot, so like you said, this is a sizable exception. So yeah, if you can if you can be clever enough to find a way to use it, yeah, you absolutely should. Of course, this exception left over from the Dwight Howard Bismack Biombo right. uh, right. trade from last summer. At Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure we're giving our listeners a good deal on a quality product. That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set which includes a five-blade razor, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's, like myself, and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com bluewire. All of Harry's Blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, let's hop into some Twitter questions. Um, We put this out on Twitter probably about several weeks ago, and we got a good response from all of you guys. And a lot of these questions overlap, so I'm probably going to kind of combine a couple uh, together. So this first one comes from two different people. I kind of combine this, uh, at BuzzCity12 and at PatrickConnor7. 
Both of these questions dealt with Frank Kaminsky, or at least in some way. First question says this, who do you think is more likely to be gone next season, Monk, Batum, or Kaminsky? And then Patrick Connor 7 follows it up, should the Hornets bring back Frank Kaminsky. So I'll just kind of give my quick thoughts on this. I think logistically speaking, out of Monk, Batum, and Kaminsky, I would say that Kaminsky is the most likely to be gone next season as he is the only one that's not under contract. But I think if they did want to make it work to where they would want to bring him back, it could happen. But I mean, to answer the question, he is definitely the most likely to be gone of those three. I think it's going to be very difficult to trade Batum and get off of his contract. And then uh, Monk at uh, $4 million a year under contract. I, I can see him uh, just you know sticking it out with the Hornets one more year and, and see how he progresses, even though he had another disappointing season. And then to answer the follow-up question by Patrick Connor 7 should the Hornets bring back Kaminsky? Uh, as much as it pains me to say this, or as weird it is to say this, I would say yes. I would try to get Kaminsky back. But if there's an offer out there as a restricted free agent that's too much, clearly you're not going to match it. Yeah, I, I would... I would rank these as agree with Richie on Kaminsky. Um, you know, I think Bunk has probably come second as as guy most likely not to be back. I just just think there's still some value in him. Mm-hmm. That, you know, again, I the beholder. I think there's some teams that would give you some for him. Um, Batum, you know, I, you know Zach Lowe mentioned in in his column the week before last that you know that he thinks. It's a possibility that most likely guy, even above Kimba, to not be on this roster next year is Nick Batum, which surprised me. Good luck finding a deal. I, you know, I, with, the, with the way the Hornets do business, what history tells us, I can I can see why he believes that's the case, and probably his sources are telling him that the, the, you know that that is the case. But what the Hornets are going to have to attach to that to get off is not going to be worth it in the end to me. Right. I understand that's how the Hornets are going to do business. It was me doing business. I would ride this thing out with Batum, but yeah, that's how I would rank him. I think. Do want to do want to clarify too? I said with regards to the trade exception, that was the the Dwight Howard Timothy Mozgov trade, not Dwight Howard of uh, Bizbeck Biombo. So wanted to just sneak that in there real quickly. Yeah, I think um, you know more likely to be gone. I, I think Kaminsky. I mean, you'd, you'd like to think there's some sort of mechanism to to move. Batum from the from the roster, but it, it's just sort of tough to to see the the really obvious way for them doing that without sort of mortgaging some of these draft picks. Which, depending on what happens with Kemba, like you know, you might need Monk's so tough to figure because I guess he sort of factors in as a, a hypothetical trade chip. Um, I, but I think he'll be back, and I think Batum is sort of unmovable. So I think Kaminsky becomes the one that's that's most flexible. Um, I still kind of can't believe Lowe had that that mention in, in his piece about Batum the other week. Uh, it, that that's that seems crazy. It seems a little crazy to me because I just I, I'd like to just know more of the mechanics behind some of these hypothetical decisions that could move Nick Batum. Like it, you know, you can't the guys if you can't stretch him, it's way too much money. And, and what kind of trade would you have to conjure up, and who would you have to do it with just to even? get that get that asset off your books it it's tough so yeah i would say kaminsky because they currently have at least two centers already under contract under roster and bismack and, and cody zeller and you could have willie Aaron and gomez so i uh, i just think in terms of uh, position and in terms of finances that kaminsky makes the most is the most likely to be gone 
Yeah, I, I just don't know a trade for Batum, how much it would be worth it, like Spencer said. And this kind of leads us into the next question at John Barry348. What is Nick Batum's future in Charlotte? We had given him a lot of money, and honestly, we are disappointed. Should or could we trade him in a package to get someone like Bradley Beal? Um, first off, his role uh, in Charlotte, at, le- at least this past season, uh, it seems like he's become more of a point-of-attack defender who still, I think, is overrated on that end by many Hornets fans. And then on offense, he wants nothing to do uh, with the ball. <laughs> you know, they actually play better with him off the court than on the court. And he just shies away from the from the basket, shies away from the ball. And I wish that for a player that's getting paid that much money, he was a little bit more involved. Because there were games last season in which it seems like out of nowhere he stepped up. But uh, then again, his usage re- usage percentage went down uh, the drain as the season went on. Um, <laughs> to but, say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could we trade him in a package to get someone like Bradley Beal? Uh, there's no way. I mean, that guy's arguably a third-team All-NBA player. Uh, the only way that you could trade Batum was attaching a lot of things that uh, would not be beneficial for the Hornets. So, unfortunately, I don't think Batum... Uh, is going to be off this roster next season. Uh, as much as Zach Lowe says that, I just don't see a world in which the Hornets uh, would benefit from that trade. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. So if they can get creative and find a way, that'd be awesome. But I think his future is in Charlotte, but uh, it's not much of a role on either end of the court. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, yeah, this <clears throat> proposed trade for a guy like Bradley Beal, I mean, like Richie said, no, absolutely no way. I mean, yeah. it, you're, you're looking at dumping him. The, the only reason Charlotte would make this trade, right, is if they can dump him into cap space and not have to take, you know, significant salary back. I, I yep. just did crunch the quick numbers. That only gets him to, after you count, you know, tack on the salary for the, the player we're going to draft in the first round, probably like $86 million, and that's in nine players. Well, that's only about $20 million under the projected yep. salary cap, and you got you still got to come up with five more roster spots, you know. Yep. So, it's and it doesn't even it doesn't even behoove the Hornets to do it at that point because now they have to act as a team in free agency if they were able to trade him in the cap space as a team operating under the salary cap so they don't have access to exceptions like the, the yeah. non-taxpayer mid-level exception so it, it just it doesn't move the needle at all uh, and that's why to me in the end you should just ride this thing out just let it come off clean. Um, and look, this is these are the things that we've talked about before. Kimba's not a dummy; he knows this too, right? Like, there's just no way. Even if you take Nick Batum's big salary out off the books, there's no way to improve this roster. It's it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but it's very important for fans to understand. There's no way for Charlotte to create cap space, significant cap space that will make a difference this summer. As far as Nick uh, agreed, Spencer, that was very well laid out. Uh, as far as like Nick Batum's role, like I have no clue. Like if this guy's back, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what you do. Like it, it's wild to have your most expensive player on your roster be, you know, like you know, if Kemba was back, he'd be the second most expensive player on the roster. But like the to have a veteran like this that just. You're not like I, I appreciate Borrego trying to make him like a spot up shooter and defender this year, but it just it you know it, it just didn't work, man. Like it just I you know I hate to say it, I don't think it was on Borrego, but like it just didn't work with Nick. Batum in the month of April, 86 minutes, had a 3.7 percent usage rate. He attempted zero free throws. 
He attempted six field goals, two of six shooting, and only one of those was a two-point shot. But the guy was so checked out at the end of the season. Uh, Since the start of January, in 812 minutes, Nick Batum attempted 22 free throws. Batum was one of two players in the NBA this season to play over 2,300 minutes and finish with fewer than 100 free throw attempts. P.J. Tucker was the other, but like that guy's an all-NBA defender, and all he does is shoot corner threes. Nick Batum's touches per game this season, 44. That's down from 66 his first season in Charlotte. And during the month of April, just 24 touches per game. Like, the guy was – it's just – like, I don't know where you go from here because he's so expensive, and he is skilled, and he is a veteran – I, I don't know what you do. Like it, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to to sort of place because I, I'm not sure there's a way to sort of revitalize the relationship with him. He and JB. I mean, maybe there is, but this was sort of the year it felt like he had to get stuff back on track, and it didn't happen. Even when they sort of changed his role up, he just faded further and further away from actually helping them win basketball games. And the juxtaposition with that. And the energy and the effort that Miles Bridges and Dwayne Bacon were bringing—it just—it's it, tough. It's tough to find. It's tough to find a role for this guy on this roster, honestly. Yeah. yeah well, and the crazy thing is, it's not like his minutes were ever completely. It's not like Borrego just pulled the plug on all his minutes and benched the guy. I mean, he he, he gave him an, albeit a small one, still an opportunity, even up yeah. until the very end of the year. So, if you just fail to, if you just continue to fail to take advantage of opportunities over and over and over and over again. Whose fault is that? You know, I mean, you're still getting minutes. And so I I have no, you know, Nick Batum can be frustrated as much as he wants. I have no sympathy for him. You can't, this is the the national basketball. So this is the greatest league in the world. There is no place for a passive player getting paid $25 million dollars uh, a year in this league, you cannot have a sub five usage rate for any stretch of games. I'm sorry. So, I mean, I mean, you know, enjoy this money because this, <laughs> unless you have a epiphany, unlike I've seen, I think since I've been watching basketball in the NBA, this would be the last contract. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I understand being a player that doesn't want the ball in his hands and being the, the focal point of the offense, but like Brian brought up, like his touches this season have gone down. And in the preseason, it felt like he was initiating the offense a whole lot more, uh, you know, grabbing you know, the defensive rebound, pushing the pace. I thought, that's why I made that prediction preseason, which, you know, failed tremendously, where I thought he'd average the most assists in his career. Did not happen. Didn't touch the ball enough for that to happen. So, yeah, I'm not sure how this happens because it doesn't. Just, it's not just a, a switch thing, like where you can just switch it on. Well, I guess it seems that way sometimes where there's a stretch of games where he just switches on his aggressiveness, which is I don't know why he can't do that all the time. So any last thoughts on Nick Batum before we get to this next question? Nah. Yeah, I just I just feel like his roles changed so much beyond initially what Cho and Clifford and maybe Buchanan and, and MJ sold him in 2015 and then 2016 that I just don't I don't know if there can be some reclamation project with Nick Batum and that that's the hard part. That's what makes the next two years tough, basically. It's not just the money. Right. It's that he's sunk cost in a lot of different ways. All right, the last question uh, overlaps between three people that uh, reached out to us on Twitter, at AI underscore smooth, at that man Fran, and at KIEFW15. Uh, all three of them ask very similar questions. What do the Hornets do if Kimba stays, and what do the Hornets do if Kimba walks? 
So I'll pose that question to you guys. Um, as weird as it sounds, I'm not sure the answer is all that different <laughs> depending on if he walks or stays just because of our limited flexibility. But I do think that if he he leaves, I think that we, uh, you know, obviously the, the direction of the franchise changes a little bit, but I think our roster itself will mostly stay unchanged uh, depending on what he does, right? I mean, I feel like there's not going to be some drastic overhaul with uh, Kimba leaving. Well, you know, it's it, this is an interesting question because a lot of the what happens if it's not even going to have a chance to happen. It's actually going to happen before, because you know, if the Hornets want to get very, very aggressive in trying to keep Kimba because the draft is their final opportunity Um you know, a trade around the draft involving a larger salary and, and you know, obviously the, the 12th pick, if that ends up uh, being what it is, that's their last chance to prove anything to Kimba. So mm-hmm. I, I would say this. I would say if, Richie, you're correct, you know, if, if Kimba resigns, I wouldn't expect much change at all just because I'm not sure there's really anything you can do other than use your exception and just try to stand under the tax, basically exactly what we did uh, last summer. If Kimba lead, well, let's put it this way: if the Hornets make a trade involving their first-round pick, or even their second-round pick, and and a larger salary, then that's a sign they feel like they have a good chance to keep Kimba Walker. To me, if mm-hmm. if they pick 12th, and you don't hear any chatter about it about a trade leading up to the draft, um, I would say that it doesn't suggest Kimba's gone, but I would say any lack of urgency or aggressiveness involving the Hornets in a trade around the draft is probably not a great sign if you want to see Kendall Walker back in Charlotte. So that's a, kind of how I would address that that question. Uh, yeah, and look, if Kemba, if Kemba leaves, you burn it all to the ground. Like, you, you, you assess whatever, you know, plus young assets you have. Miles Bridges at the top of the list, Dwayne Bacon, uh, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk. You know, those are, those are the guys. And then, Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't think they have a lot of like tradable assets. But beyond that, but yeah, you, you tank, and everyone in Charlotte watches a bunch of James Wiseman playing at Memphis next season, and you know, you, you try to, or Cole Anthony at UNC, or if assuming he ends up there, and, and yeah, you just batten down the hatches for some, some gruesome times, and uh, and tank the hell out of it because there's, there's no other, there's no other ground between trying desperately to construct a, a an average roster around Kemba if he comes back um, on a max contract or if he leaves, you know, the only thing you can do is just burn it down and, and, and assess what you got. And, and yeah, and that's tough because that's maybe not the job that James Brago signed up for, you know what I mean, when he, when he took the job and stuff too. And uh, that, I don't know if Mitch Kupchak is really the executive that is you, you put in place to – um, to run or full rebuild that, that didn't really go so well with, with him in, in Los Angeles before that, that sort of short-circuited and you know his, the, the plug got pulled for him on that. But like I think um, I still don't see there's, there's no other approach between those two things. Those are the two, those are the two ways the Hornets are going to enter the, you know, the 2019-2020 NBA season. Well, the crazy thing is the Hornets won't even have to tank if Kemba walks. And yeah, true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, like, like it's a good point. They, they have zero cap space still if he doesn't come back. Um, yeah. Nick Patoon will be you know, obviously their highest paid player. There's nothing there. So they'll be bad, you know, either way you look yeah. at them. God, they will be so bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, 15 wins bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so the last way that the Hornets can obviously address and uh, acquire players is through the draft, and we're not going to get into individual prospects so much as just kind of looking at the draft big picture. Uh, The draft is some ways away uh, in June 20th, but the Hornets do have three picks this this year. They did win the coin toss between, I believe, the Heat and the Kings, which give them the best chance of acquiring that 12th pick. And I believe they have a 1% chance of getting the top pick. So that there's that. But they also have two second-round picks, uh, neither of which are their own. They're getting it through a trade. So they get the 36th pick via Washington, which dates back four or five seasons, and then the 52nd pick via OKC with the uh, Diallo trade that we made last season. So, guys, what are your thoughts on having three picks this season? I mean, I don't know if there's much we can talk about in terms of like just draft prospects, where we can find a 36 player, best player at that point, but just uh, any thoughts on having three picks this, this year compared to maybe just a regular two? Not a lot. I mean, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, Charlotte, they like to trade second round picks and, and move off to get a player that they, they have circled. Um, so, you know, I think that's in play. I mean, but I don't think there's a lot here, to be honest. I, I, with that 36th pick, you know, I, I, circle, <laughs> I circle a guy like Ty Jerome and I wonder, man. If, if, He's the first name First thing that came to my head, too. First day. What if Kimmel walks this year and we can start Devontae Graham? We already know we're going to be bad. Give Ty Jerome his backup. So I get I get a little bit excited thinking about that. But no, not not a lot of analysis here. It's it's obviously always nice to have more picks than not, especially when there's an opportunity that you could really, really be bad, um, get some youth into the pipeline. So, I mean, I think that's the takeaway. And, you know, having another top 40 picks, not a bad thing, right? Like you said, Ty Jerome. I think even if I think he I think there are some people that grade him out as a first round pick. I sort of have him in that 25 to 30 range. There's plenty of people that think of him as 45 to 60. So, yeah, I could totally see you getting him at 36. You could you know get him on one of those Devontae Graham, Dwayne Bacon type deals. And, yeah, I think that would be a nice little pickup. You know, some other names to kick around. You could think Shamori Pons, the the, the point guard from St. John's, I think. uh uh, Iggy Brzdykis from Michigan is a guy that you could see had a really nice freshman season, but I could see him falling into that range. Um, there's just a lot of variance once you get to that like 25, 40 range too. So some good players, assuming they keep the pick, there's some there's some guys they could go get, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that over the next two months here. Yeah, and I think I would draft Pons just on his name, like I would Shake Milton. So uh, that, that that's a pretty cool name, Shamori Pons. As long. It is a great name. As um, as long as you know Kai Bowman from Boston College, another name to back up point guard name to throw around. But yeah, as long as Shamori Pons doesn't have to go against Trey Jones in the NBA, I think he could be uh, maybe a serviceable backup. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Uh, you guys can listen to these episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, anywhere you prefer to listen to your uh, podcast. And you can definitely find more content on our podcast and others at BlueWirePods.com. Hope you guys have a good one, and we will see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.